Hello and welcome to the SBNY podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. Sports Blog New York podcast, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, at Google Play, SoundCloud, and of course on SportsBlogNewYork.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. You got just me. I'm P. Kennedy, the host. My Twitter's at pkennedy2wise, and I'm solo on the podcast tonight. Now, don't get me wrong. I do greatly enjoy recording this podcast with all the individuals who do it with me. Phil DeMeo, Mike Palmazano, our NBA outsiders, Frank, Bab, and Duff, even Alec Argento. But there's a little something special about coming in in front of the microphone and just spitting by yourself. Something a little bit more challenging, a little bit more genuine about coming in solo to talk sports and the things that we love. So if you're tuning in today, Sports Blog New York Podcast, no matter where you are, no matter what you're listening on, thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to what we got to say. And in this case, just me. So strap up, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. That stuff including, of course, it being Super Bowl week. Some thoughts on that game coming up. But then we have some stuff to talk about in regards to New York sports. So we did just end the deadest week in sports, many refer to it as. The week before the Super Bowl, like no one really cares about the Pro Bowl. This is a sort of lull in the NBA season. Luckily we had the All-Star Draft, which was a fun thing to talk about. But we also had the Senior Bowl and the Jets and Giants looking at possible quarterbacks. We got guys like Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, who weren't at the Super Bowl, uh, Senior Bowl, obviously, because they're not seniors. But then we also got Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield, two of the more polarizing figures in this year's NFL draft. Now, the Giants and Jets are both in a place where they are definitely going to be looking for a quarterback. Giants may be a little less pressing, but those Jets are always looking. And now in a place where Josh Allen's stock is all over the place. Some people are seeing him go number one or number two. But a lot of common thinking says the Jets have a chance at number six. But there's some interesting things about Josh Allen that are coming out recently with his uh, attitude, what he says about himself, that are quite interesting, that some could look at as a good thing, some could look at as a bad thing. And we always thought Baker Mayfield was the one with the attitude. So we're going to talk about that. Talk about some of the stats that uh, scare people away from Josh Allen, as well as Baker, the Jets situation. And also, the New York Giants have a new coach in Pat Shermer. It is his second. That's an important part. It's his second opportunity as a head coach in the National Football League. And as you'll hear me talk about later, I think that's quite the good thing. Because in all walks of life, isn't it fair to say that a second time around usually goes a little bit better? Seriously, though, think about it. Just that little bit of extra experience, that stuff you didn't quite get the first time around. The stuff you just missed or you forgot or you're like, ah, wish I did that this way. Those opportunities are all realistic now in his second opportunity. And then we got a guy on the New York Knicks who talks trash like he's one of the best players in the league. Enos Cantor has become an NBA Twitter troll. Starts it off on the court sometimes. Sometimes he starts it straight off on Twitter. But he has created a couple relationships going on now that put him up against big-name players like LeBron James to NBA lifers like Jared Dudley. Going at him on the court and then following it up on Twitter. Now, I'm not sure how you feel about Enos Cantor as a player, as a person, or anything. But I did get the sense early on in his Knicks tenure that the New York fans are flocking to Enos a little bit. They appreciate him sticking up for his guys and being confident and going at people. 
But is he the type of player that warrants that type of trash talk off the court? Because I got to be a little, a little honest here. I'm not that. I'm not that pleased about it. I don't think the Knicks, a franchise in dismay for years, needs to be making enemies out there. Especially when you got a guy who might get traded in a couple weeks. A guy on a one-year contract. With Well, he has a player option, but a guy who can opt out. A guy who might not be on this team next month. And he comes in against anybody, throwing shade around on Twitter, thinking he's swinging something around bigger than what they got. Well, Enos, you're going at Devin Booker, and then Jared Dudley's backing him up. Devin Booker is a 22-year-old who has more talent than you'll ever do. He's going to be an all-star. He's going to be an all-NBA candidate year in and year out for 10 to 12 more years. You're 25. You're on your third team. You average 13 points a night. Yeah, the Knicks do rely on you, and you do play a big role. How about being a little bit more worried about Shoring up the defense and protecting the rim rather than protecting your reputation on Twitter. I mean, come on. But the Knicks have a stretch here where they really need to win every single game possible. Because it's easy to see their schedule lately and say, you know what? The Knicks are really only beating bad teams. They're only beating the sons of the world. They're only beating the Atlanta Hawks of the world. They're losing to Denver and Golden State, obviously. But then they're even losing tough ones to Memphis. Tough games in double overtime to the Chicago Bulls. So basically, when you see the Knicks go out and beat a team like the Phoenix Suns by 22 points, and you go, ah, it's the Suns. You better rethink that. Because if you still are a Knicks fan who hopes to see this team play meaningful basketball at the end of the season and maybe fall into a playoff spot, well, they got games coming up in the next uh, eight or so against teams like the Nets, the Hawks, the Bucks twice, and the Sixers and the Magic. Those are teams that either have a game or two, or I mean a spot or two in the standings ahead of you, or definitely below. And if you're a team that expects to be playing meaningful basketball, those are teams that you need to beat. So we're going to talk about the outlook on the Knicks now that Tim Hardaway's back and what their next couple games are going to look like and what we need to see out of some of their players. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And also the Super Bowl, like I mentioned before. Now i got to say this. Aren't you glad that Blake Bortles isn't playing in the Super Bowl? I know it became a little bit of a cult following. Quite the funny internet meme. Great, great chatter on Twitter joking about Blake Bortles having a lot of fun of him winning games. Like, shocking the world. But if you can sit down, look at me in the face and say... You would rather have the Jaguars and Blake Bortles in the Super Bowl rather than Tom Brady and the Patriots? You're either just a straight-up clown joking around, and I'll respect that, or you're absolutely out of your mind. Tom Brady and the New England Patriots being in the Super Bowl. You need to put some emphasis on that. The Super Bowl. It's the biggest moment in sports every single year. It is the one true moment in American culture, not even just in sports anymore. In American culture, that it feels like everybody is looking at the same thing, the same program, at the same time. Not DVR'd, not streamed on YouTube later, live. The Super Bowl. You're telling me you want to watch Blake Bortles in the Super Bowl? Get out of here. You can hate Tom Brady. 
You can hate Bill Belichick, the Patriots. You can just hate all things Boston. This is the sports blog New York podcast. We don't like Boston. That's fair. Knicks fans don't like the Celtics. Yankees fans, the Red Sox. Jets fans, the Patriots. I get it. Rangers fans, the Bruins, so on and so forth. But if you think the moment that cultivates an entire country and now an entire world, realistically, the NFL's grown so much, you think that moment needs a Blake Bortles? No. No, 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 no. That's when I say you're lying to yourself. So you have the opportunity to see a franchise here in the Patriots do something that's basically never been done. Tom Brady winning another Super Bowl possibly here. And then on the other side, you have your underdog. You have your city that loses every time. The Philadelphia Eagles, they should fill your void for the underdog here. Now, I know as a New Yorker, you're like, but it's the Eagles and it's Philly. How can I root for them? I'm a Giants fan. How can I root for the Patriots? I'm a Jeff fan. I wanted something different. The Vikings and the Jaguars. Those were different teams. They're fun. They have uh, underdog quarterbacks. Yeah, you also got two teams that just never win anything. And if you got two teams that don't win anything up against each other, you got a matchup where the stakes are not there. Think about the stakes on this game now. Backup quarterback Nick Foles playing for a city without a Super Bowl versus perhaps the greatest franchise, the greatest dynasty, the greatest run of a team in NFL history. There's your stakes. You didn't need Blake Bortles and the Jaguars' defense, all right? So hopefully by now, the week leading up to the Super Bowl, you're over that. You're done with it. You still may piss you off that Tom Brady's at the Super Bowl again, and we got to listen to Bill Belichick say nothing to the media. But just think about it in the big picture one time. The big picture. People pay $5 million for a commercial on the Super Bowl because everybody's watching. What do we need as a country? Everybody sitting down talking about Blake Bortles? Or we want people passionately debating the greatness of Tom Brady versus the cheating of the Patriots. The, the greatness of a city against the underdog Philadelphia who's never won. That's, that's it. This Super Bowl is what we, what we needed more than any other option that presented. Sure, you can say the Vikings-Eagles, same thing. I'll, I'll take that. It would have been awesome if the Vikings you know, played the Super Bowl in their home state, and that would have been fantastic. But I can't complain about this matchup here. And what also makes me more intrigued is this line. And I'm going to have Phil DeMeo and Mike Palmazano hopefully join me later in the week. We're going to do our official picks for the Super Bowl, the last of the year. The last NFL picks of the year. It's a little sad. It is a little sad. But the draft's right around the corner. More stuff to talk about, Giants and Jets. But that line, it's already been moving around. It's been jumping, assuming it's going to keep moving until game day. My guess is it's going to end up around four and a half, five. Maybe five and a half. And you go, oh, well, the Patriots. They're the team. You can't bet against the Patriots. That's my rule. It's my golden rule. Don't bet against the Patriots. But in all the Super Bowls that Tom Brady's played in, including the two, obviously they lost, they've never won by more than six points in the Super Bowl. Because it's weird how it works sometimes with those Vegas lines, right? You had uh, Patriots versus the Jaguars line was like seven and a half or eight or whatever it was. That doesn't feel too big. But then we were talking about the Eagles and the Vikings. Three-point spread, and it feels huge. That's how I feel about this spread here. For some reason, 
there's a flair for the dramatic with the Patriots in the Super Bowl. There's late game kicks. There's last couple minute drives. There's a last stand, maybe, with Philly having the chance to strike last. But it's hard to imagine the Patriots blowing out a team in the Super Bowl. So I really have to think hard, and I'm glad I have till the end of the week to make my pick. Because I, I might have to break my golden rule. I might have to take the points fully expecting the Patriots will probably win the game. And that's something that makes me a little nervous. It does. I, I don't know, though. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm going to have Phil DeMeo, Mike Palmazano, later this week to talk about it, talk it out. Maybe uh, talk about some fun prop bets as well. You know, that's good times with the Super Bowl. But my main point here, it only being Monday or Tuesday, depending on when you listen to the program, just be happy that we have a setup for a giant moment, the biggest moment in sports every year. We now have set up an all-time great quarterback, coach, and franchise against the city that just wants one damn ring. It's set up for you to enjoy the hell out of it. Pick a side. Don't be the bitter New Yorker who's like pro- protesting the Super Bowl. Don't be the bitter New Yorker who's like, oh, I don't care this year. It's just my worst nightmare. That's no fun, man. Pick one. Pick a side. Try to try to be right. Try to make a prediction. Don't dwell on the two cities you hate. I'm sure you could pick you could pick one that you hate more. So root for the other one. Cause you got Tom Brady and the Patriots versus City that wants one damn ring. Just one. Not to mention they could all all get free Bud Light if the Eagles win. But all right, this is uh Pete Kennedy here talking on the Sports Blog New York podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Little little banter there about the different stuff that's going on this week. It, it's funny, um, you come from the the dead week in sports. They call it the deadest week in sports. I don't know if it is as much anymore with the way the All Star Game got hype, and you know some baseball moves are happening, and the drafts and stuff for football, and the Senior Week. So we had some stuff to talk about, but it's just weird uh, that week without fo- without football, even though the season's still on. I mean, the Pro Bowl doesn't count for me. Could have sworn Saturday was Sunday all day, because usually on Saturday for the past how many weeks. You go, all right, well, at least we got football tomorrow. Couldn't say that this week on Saturday. It's like, damn, why does it feel like Sunday? It's only Saturday, and I think that's why. Say what you want about football, about the NFL. Had a weird year as far as public relations, you know. A lot of different stuff happened that uh, I'm sure they would uh, would wish played out differently if they can go back, right? I'm going to keep it like that. But in the end, we got we got some good football, and I think we have some more left. And I think we could all also admit your week is just better when football's on. <laughs> your week goes quicker, and damn, Sundays are the best. So it's sad the Super Bowl's here because that means football's gone, but it's back because it never stops and the draft's around the corner. But luckily, we got stuff to talk about with the Giants and Jets outside of actual on-field football. So that brings me to my next point. This week also introduced Pat Shermer as head coach of the New York Giants. Now, I mentioned this in the open, uh, how this is his second job as an NFL head coach. And I think that's really important. I think, you know, being very idealistic about a new coach is tough. You know, Matt Patricia, for example, is a guy whose name popped around for the Giants' job. Well, it seems like he's going to be heading to Detroit for his first ever NFL coaching experience. Now, that might go great, right? Patricia might be the guy. He might be able to show up the defense that Matt Stafford never had. He might give him the support that he needed all along. It might happen. But isn't that kind of what we thought about Josh McDaniels when his first stint happened in Denver? He's got he's got all what he needs. 
He's he's a Belichick guy. He's with the Patriots. He's going to make this Denver offense work. They're going to be cooking. They're going to be a powerhouse. Didn't quite go that way. You know, Pat Shermer was the coach of the Cleveland Browns. And we all know how bad they are. Yet he's actually, he was their most successful coach since they fired him. He led them to the most wins, I believe. Which is sad because it was like five or something. But think about all the things that he experienced in Cleveland. Right? As the head coach, the guy running the show, the operations leader. I think there's some things he looks back on and says, you know, I really prioritized that too much. Maybe should have focused some more on, you know, balancing out because I'm an offense guy. You think he ever thought about uh, how he structured his, uh, his, his roster? What guys he kept? What guys he let walk? What, what guys he put most weight into? Most worth into? Because I, I just have this feeling that a professional like Pat Shermer, who had his experience as the top guy in Cleveland, switches over to Minnesota under Mike Zimmer, guy who I think has as good a chance as any to win coach of the year. And he runs an offense under this guy. He's doing it with whatever quarterback he's got at the moment. He's running out Bridgewater when he's healthy, then Bradford when he's healthy, and now Case Keenum for an entire year. And he made the offense so competent. It seemed so simple at times how they were able to pick up first downs. And frankly, it was a little impressive, right? Don't you think now he's done Cleveland, he's had success in Minnesota, he's watched a very renowned head coach in Mike Zimmer operate. You don't think there's any of that gray space that he's now filled in with stuff he has answers to? There's some cracks in his operations from the first time, that he knows how to fill now? I don't know. Maybe I'm nitpicking on this one thing a little too much. But don't you learn on the... Everyone says you learn on the job. Well, now he's had the job to learn. He's gone back and tightened it all up. And now he has his second chance to be the guy, to be the leader. This one sits good with me. The Pat Shermer hire sits good with me. For a while, I was kind of sold on the McDaniels or Patricia route, kind of hoping the Giants might get one of those guys. But something about Shermer screams consistency to me. With Patricia and McDaniels, it feels like expectations can go too fast, too furious. The guys from Belichick's wing, his tutelage, they come in to be a head coach, Patricia for the first time, McDaniels for his second. It's like, all right, now now we got it. We got the guys from New England, the one everyone wants to be. I think there's just more expectation that comes with that that's totally unwarranted and unnecessary. Because I don't know if it's just me, but as a Giants fan, maybe it's my, my fanhood really kicking in here. It just feels like they go opposite of expectations all the time. Ben McAdoo comes in. No one knows what to expect. Team's a little all over the place. All right, they spent a whole lot of money on defense. Let's see what happens. They go 11-5, and five, have a very, very good year, losing the playoffs after some controversy with their players. And then it comes back the next year, and people are literally picking the Giants to win the Super Bowl. That's not even a joke. That is real. You know how many people out there, how many professionals, how many experts picked the Giants to win the Super Bowl last year? Like, this is Eagles versus versus, uh, Patriots right now. Right now, it's happening. People thought this was going to be the Giants. It's, like, so crazy to think about now after seeing the year that they had. That's true. That's facts. People thought the Giants were going to be in the Super Bowl. And they had one of the worst years in their franchise's history. Talk about a bait and switch. So what happens now if Patricia or McDaniels comes in, right? Eli Manning stays quarterback. Maybe maybe they draft somebody. 
who knows? That defense is still together. Odell's healthy again. Maybe they sign an O-lineman. All of a sudden, people start thinking, well, this is that team that was supposed to go to the Super Bowl. Now they seem like they're back. Now they got this Patriot leadership, Patriot culture going on. I'm all in. That sounds like way too much expectation with me. Pat Shermer's not a flashy candidate. No one really knows about him. He was the OC in Minnesota. Outside of Mike Zimmer, no one really cared about Minnesota. People pretended to care about Case Keenum. You know? But it was their defense and it was Zimmer. And then by the end of the year, he worked up a little name for himself. Having a nice little consistent offense. And that's kind of what I want him to be for the Giants. The nice little consistent guy. I don't need him to come here, do rah, rah, rah. We're making the playoffs. We're going to do this. We're going to accomplish that. We got all this talent. For Giants fans and non-Giants fans alike to expect this team to do big things. I, I love what I heard from Pat Shermer. Something so, so simple. A question everybody gets asked in an opening press conference. They said, what do you expect about you know, how many games you could win this year coming up? What are the expectations like? And he answered the best way. We're, gonna, we're trying to win every single game. And we hope to win every single game. But I'm not putting out any specific expectations. He didn't say anything about playoffs. He didn't say anything about winning the division. He didn't say anything about making a run. He said, we got to try to win every single game. That's it. Simple. And you know who that kind of reminds me of? Everybody was laughing at him this year. Before the season started. Everyone was laughing because Todd Bowles, the coach of the New York Jets, was the guy who says, we got to go out there and win every game. And I expect to go out there and win. And I expect to be in the playoff hunt, and I start, uh, and everyone was laughing, predicting his team to win zero games. Legitimate professionals predicted the Jets to pull the Browns and win zero games. And what did Todd Bowles do? And, and, and the Jets' uh, leadership got rid of some of the people who were perceived as problems, shored up the team, took a veteran in Josh McCown to lead an offense to be like pretty damn respectable, and then slowly but surely, just compete, compete, compete. Ended up with a sixth pick and also gained some respect for a coach who thought he was losing his job, possibly. If Pat Shermer can come in here, be consistent, don't set expectations too high, and work really hard at being the football coach of the New York Giants, sign me up. I'm in. I like what I'm seeing. Hoping for some consistency. And the one thing you hope for the most is that, you know, five, seven, ten years from now, if this man is still the coach of your franchise, if we can say Pat Shermer, longtime Giants coach, that's a damn good thing. Because coaches in the NFL just don't stick around if they don't find success. Unless if you're Marvin Lewis, of course. So Pat Shermer looks like the consistent candidate to not set expectations too high, but also put in the work where you hope to win every game you play. Pretty simple for me. So at first, I was pretty lukewarm. Didn't know what to really feel about Pat Shermer. A little upset that Patricia McDaniels didn't even seem too interested in the opportunity, hoping to feel a little bit desirable, I guess, as a Giants fan. We ended up with a guy who might be the best candidate but he also might be the, the most low-key candidate, and that's okay. But hopping back over to the New York Jets and Todd Bowles and their situation. The Jets need a quarterback, right? Everybody knows that. They got nothing. They got Josh McClown. Yes, I said clown. That wasn't very nice, but I said it. I like Josh McCown. He does nice things, and he, he actually, I just gave him props before, two minutes ago. He led the Jets to earn some respect around the league and to a handful of wins. 
And honestly, they were close enough to get a couple more than a handful. But they competed. But it's no it's no secret that they need the guy. They need the quarterback. They need a franchise player. And now with the sixth pick in the draft, they have an opportunity. But they might be in the weirdest spot possible. Because there's three quarterbacks looked at now as true top-level talent and athleticism. Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen. If you think Baker Mayfield is in that same category, I'm sorry. But he's not. I've said this once and I'll say it again. You don't compare a regular old prospect to an anomaly. And that's why you cannot compare Baker Mayfield to Drew Brees because he's the same height. You can't compare Baker Mayfield to Russell Wilson because he was elusive in college. Baker Mayfield is not the athlete of Josh Allen. He doesn't have the arm strength of Allen Rosen or Darnold. And it is glaring that he's not the biggest guy. He might have the biggest heart, sure. But he's six foot three quarters of an inch, three eighths of an inch. I just saw it today. Just, just over six foot is my man. Now, you always want to cite Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. And uh, some people do the Johnny Manziel thing, which might be closer to the truth than the Russell Wilson category. You got to remember, though, that Russell Wilson and Drew Brees weren't picked in the first round. They weren't picked in the top ten. They were picked in the second, third round. Now, if you think Baker Mayfield has what it takes to be the guy for a franchise, I need you to ask yourself two very specific questions as a Jets fan. First, do you think picking a quarterback number six overall in the draft changes how he's treated day one walking onto camp? Do you think being that high of a pick sets expectations to a level where Jets have never had a quarterback reach since goddamn Broadway Joe? Because if you do think that being picked that high changes expectations and what the franchise looks for from this player, Baker Mayfield should not be your guy at number six. And the second question regarding Baker Mayfield. If you can admit that he has some questionable attitude flaws, but you think they're even derived from positive, working really hard, having an edge, having a chip on your shoulder, but still has like some sort of an attitude, but you just, maybe you like it, right? Maybe you like his attitude. A lot of people do. I have a lot of friends who love this guy. And obviously, the internet has taken a big love to Baker Mayfield. Do you think that a rah-rah, loud attitude works with the New York Jets in this market being a top-flight pick? Because I have all these visions of what it could look like with Baker Mayfield being the quarterback of the Jets. And most of them are near slanderous back pages in the New York Post and Daily News. The, if for the, for me with the Baker Mayfield to the Jets situation, I see I see terror. I see horror. And I think the 1% chance that it works out is not enough to take that sort of risk. Because literally, a guy like that, Baker Mayfield, six-foot college phenom, Heisman Trophy winner, doesn't it kind of scream bust in a market like New York where the spotlight just gets too big and he crumbles under, under pressure? That's what it feels like to me. And I don't know if any quarterback can work out with the Jets, man. I've never seen one in my lifetime. The best quarterback in my lifetime for the Jets has been Chad Pennington. You know what Chad Pennington was? Consistent. 
you know what he was? Pretty smart. Knew, knew how to run an offense. Knew how to make the right play. You know what he didn't have? Josh Allen's arm. Oh, my God. Josh Allen has an absolute cannon. He just clocked in throwing a football over 60 miles per hour. The fastest ever tracked by a college prospect. He threw a football over 60 miles per hour. That's insane. But that's not where his problem is. Nobody's out here questioning him if Josh Allen can throw it hard, can throw it fast, and can get it into those tight windows when he's accurate. But that last thing I just said is actually the exact problem that people are seeing with Josh Josh Allen is the accuracy. Everybody knows he has a hose, but not everyone could see him consistently hitting open receivers. In fact, if you if you go to Google right now and type in Josh Allen, um, you know breakdown or whatever Josh Allen, uh, you know prospect ranking, all that stuff. I have a strong feeling you're going to see a lot of things say this exact quote. He's a 56% passer in college. 56% at Wyoming. The only other two quarterbacks in the past seven years out of college who had less than a 60% passing uh, passing uh, completion percentage Sorry, were Tyrod Taylor and Trevor Simeon. Now, if you're the New York Jets, you taking a risk at number six on a guy who is probably the worst out of the big three on what might be the most important aspect for a quarterback? I mean, we're seeing a guy like Blake Bortles, who's a big guy, strong quarterback, pretty mobile, make some plays with his feet have his offense not completely trust him because he can't be accurate. Now what Josh Allen does is make up for it with his with the hose of an arm and his great athleticism and great size. But we're talking about the New York Jets number six overall pick. Now if Josh Allen even makes it there, is that a, is that a guy you can imagine Mike McCagan and Tom Bowles taking a risk on and wanting to play Because when you pick Josh Allen at number six, you know Jets Nation wants to see him under center on Sunday during the regular season. They're sick and tired of the Hackenberg and Petty's not even getting their chances to play. They want to see this guy play now. And if you pick a guy number six, it's going to have to happen soon or that coach and that GM are going to be gone because what the hell are they doing? So just think about that. Do you think he's a guy who can get put in to the NFL right now and be successful enough to not lose his job or get a coach fired? I'm not fully convinced. I'm not fully convinced the Jets are the place for these two quarterbacks. And my guess right now, still plenty of time to go, is that the Jets end up not taking a quarterback in that first round unless they trade up. Let me know how you feel about Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, and the Giants' new head coach at my Twitter, at PKennedy2Wise. And don't forget, as well, at SportBlogNYC. That's the blog Twitter. It's at SportBlogNYC. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Been great so far talking sports and the stuff we love. I have one more stu- one more thing here to talk about. One more tidbit about the New York Knickerbockers. Mentioned them a little bit before. Mentioned their, their schedule coming up. But I just need to give one little shout-out. Actually, two shout-outs, but one main one. And the first one for the Knicks to shout-out is Tim Hardaway Jr. Man, this this guy deserves $17 million. I came out when the contract was first first made, first signed, for signed, sealed, delivered, when everybody was very up in arms. They were not happy with $17 million going Tim Hardaway's uh, Tim Hardaway Jr.'s way for the next couple of years. I defended it right off the bat. And I, I basically lived in the camp that said $17 million is a lot of money. But if he can do these things 
on the basketball court, you have to bite the bullet and pay the man because that just how that's just how it goes in the NBA. Market price gets set when one guy gets overpaid, and that could mean Tristan Thompson makes eighteen million. That means Kent Bazemore is making eighteen million. Evan Fournier is almost on a max contract. There's people out here getting paid left and right who are equal or below the level of Tim Hardaway Jr. And maybe it's because we had a bad taste in our mouth because he was on the team as a rookie, did not get better year two, ended up getting traded away. Well, this man, all he's done is score 18 points a game, over four rebounds, three assists, and a steal. Also shooting 43 and 33% from the floor and from three. Modest field goal percentages, but what does this guy do that nobody else on the team can do? He can score from every single level all game long. Now you can come to me and say Michael Beasley can score on every level, and I would absolutely agree with you. I love Michael Beasley. But he's not in the category of Tim Hardaway Jr., who's making $17 million to be the starting shooting guard small forward of the team. Michael Beasley's getting a veteran's minimum. He plays backup minutes, sometimes fills in as a starter. He's done a great job. Love it. His 12, 12 or 13 points a game, sometimes dropping 20 or 30, is fantastic. But he's not the dynamic player that Tim Hardaway Jr. is. You think of the Knicks roster for a second. I'm going to name some guys so you have some names fresh in the memory. Courtney Lee, Enos Cantor, Jared Jack, Doug McDermott, Frank Nielakina, Lance Thomas, Hernan Gomez, Kyle Quinn, Trey Burke, right? Porzingis, obviously, but not really him for this situation because he's just the guy. But you know the guy needs another guy. Who scores from these levels better than Tim Hardaway Jr.? From three, getting to the free throw line, the ability to get to the rim and finish with layups and dunks, and in transition. Nobody on the Knicks is as dynamic as Tim Hardaway Jr. And if you've watched the game since he's returned, you know, he's had some up and down shooting performances, a couple real hot ones. He changes the way they play the game. He's one of the few guys who you really are are confident with with most of the shots he takes. Yeah, sometimes he'll heat check a little too much, I agree. But when you're talking about in transition, which the Knicks have been very bad in scoring in transition for the past couple of years, we're talking from three, and we're talking getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line. Tim Hardaway Jr. is taking four free throws a game. That's second most on the team, only behind Porzingis. He's also shooting 80% on, the, on said free throws. Those are the little things that he brings to the team that they just completely lack when he's not there. Tim Hardaway Jr. is able to change the entire offense of the New York Knicks. The whole dynamic. He can shoot from any pocket on the floor. He can get to the rim. And he can finish a damn layup in transition. Now, Courtney Lee's been a godsend. Trey Burke's had some great performances since he got called up. Doug McDermott has some hot nights here and there. But trying to rely on McDermott's, Burks, Lees, and Lance Thomas's for 18 points when Tim Hardaway's not around, that makes it tough. And this recent stretch of the Knicks losing, I think they're, uh, you know, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. I could chalk that up to him not being there. Tim Hardaway Jr. deserves all 17 of his million this year and hopefully moving forward. Now what we got to do is keep the man healthy, keep him on the court, and I think it only goes up for Hardaway, Porzingis, and the Knicks. Let me know what you think about that, though, because I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued now. I'm interested to see how the fans are feeling about Timmy H. THJ, I think he's been winning fans over this year. He's working his ass off. He's back healthy a little bit now. He's scoring a big 18 a game. It's very big. It is very big. If they're hoping 
to be in games. He's the guy who needs to be on the court. Porzingis is still the go-getter, the bucket-getter, the hog of this team averaging 23, seven rebounds, right, two and a half blocks. But the whole dynamic of the Knicks offense changes. When Tim Hardaway, secondary ball handler, primary shooter, and slasher, versatile player, is not on the court. And then lastly, shout out to Trey Burke, man. Trey Burke coming in. Now played six games with the team. He's averaging about nine points and four assists. He scored in double digits a handful of times. Shout out to my man, Trey Burke. I got to give a little bit of a mea culpa. Mea culpa, if you don't know, is basically a fancy word for apology, I think. I don't know. One of my teachers used to say it to me all the time. And uh, now I say it as well. I didn't have any faith in Trey. I did not expect Trey Burke to be down in the G League, down in the dumps playing for the Westchester Knicks for like two months, maybe more than that, coming on up to the NBA and bowling like he's supposed to be there. Trey Burke looks confident. He's able to score from multiple levels. He's finishing floaters inside. He's shooting outside. He's always been a decent scorer. And those four assists a game may not sound like much. When you got Frank and Jarrett Jack also getting about four or five, sometimes six. But he's, he's turned some heads so far in New York. So I'm sorry, Trey Burke. I did not have the faith in you that you clearly had in yourself. And it is damn satisfying when a player, a guy who we all know from college, right, him in Michigan, playing with Tim Hardaway, actually, thought he was down. We thought he was out. But he went to the G League. He did it right. He worked his way back up, back in. He's got an opportunity. And it looks like he's ready to grab it by the horns. He does not want to travel on those G League buses no more. And I don't blame him. Trey Burke looks like he earned his place on the New York Knicks. And we're going to be seeing him in Madison Square Garden for the foreseeable future. And so far, so good. I'm very pleased. Yet, shocked. Because I couldn't have been more wrong. So shout out Trey Burke. As always, shout out to Mike Beasley because he is just the man and he is a walking bucket. That is true. You know, I need to say I need to say this real quick because before the season, you know, it was easy to joke with no expectations. We're paying the man a million dollars. You know, he's not even in the rotation to start off the year. And then he gets a spot start for KP and drops thirty, and then he gets another spot start, drops thirty, comes off the bench twenty eighteen, and he, and he's just getting buckets. And and we were joking. We were we were just busting on this man because his ten percent of the brain comments and his wearing he's wearing a watch on his ankle and he's being a goof. He's Mike Beasley, right? But he still comes out there. He talks the talk and says, "I can get a bucket anywhere. I can score like anybody." And that's just what he does. And he provides a pretty consistent scoring power on the Knicks bench. And as a Knicks fan, man, I've been just very happy and impressed with the play of Beasley. And beyond his scoring prowess, there seems to be a, a real care for him to make winning basketball plays. It's not something you could have always said about Michael Beasley. You know, making the right pass is not the first thing you think of when Mike Beasley comes to name. But my man is looking for the right pass. He's not forcing a ton of jump shots because he knows he's not a great volume jump shooter. He's getting to the rim. He gets to the line. It's been a pleasure to have him off the bench. So hopefully he continues. Um, I'm going to be curious what happens with him moving forward. He's the type of guy who might just get paid out of nowhere, but he could also be the type of guy who plays the rest of his career on one-year deals for $5 million or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see if the Knicks move forward with Michael Beasley and now with Trey Burke here as well. It's good stuff. But this is an important stretch. Before we go, because I'm about to finish up here, just recap since we're talking about the Knicks. We got them sitting at 22-28. and 28. They're one game behind the Detroit Pistons, who are the ninth seed currently in the, in the East. So the way you need to look at it here with the Knicks, there's the Pistons, the Sixers, the Pacers, and the Bucks. A few of those teams you feel pretty confident about. 
that being the Giannis Antetokounmpo-led Milwaukee Bucks. And probably, in my opinion, the Indiana Pacers led by all-star Victor Oladipo. Now, there's two opportunities here, though. One, if Joel Embiid is somehow, unfortunately, I'm not rooting for this at all, obviously, if he is not fully healthy for the second half of the season, the Knicks have a chance to swipe in. The Knicks always have a chance to swipe ahead of the Detroit Pistons to go into the ninth spot. But if you think the Knicks are a playoff team with playoff aspirations in 2018, you got to see, realistically, the Knicks overleaping the Pistons and then either the Sixers, Pacers, Bucks, or maybe, I'm not even going to disrespect and put the Wizards in there. They're too, they're too talented. So you, you look to yourself, you look through the teams, you look through the Pacers and Old Depot, Thaddeus Young, you know, Miles Turner's hurt, but when he comes back, and DeMontis Sabonis, not a very overwhelming team. But they're 27 and 23, they have an all-star, and they're playing good basketball. Knicks are about five games back. That win streak needs to come soon for the Knicks. It needs to come now. And they need to change the 7-19 and road record to get somewhere near 500. Because they're winning fine at home. But no playoff team is good enough to be 7-19 and on the road. And even just looking up the Eastern standings real quick, the Milwaukee Bucks are 10-13 and on the road. Pacers 11-13. and Sixers 12-12. and They are able to be mediocre on the road because they win their home games. The Knicks are winning some home games, but not enough to not just be mediocre on the road, but to be bad on the road. So they got to figure it out, and I think Tim Hardaway being there is a big help to make them win any game possible. All right, though. Thank you guys for tuning in. I mean, it's been 50 minutes now, me spewing stuff at you guys. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. I really do appreciate anybody coming in to listen. If you appreciate the show as well, it would mean the world to me. If you just happen to sign on to iTunes or Apple Podcast, drop a little rating and a review. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you want to hear more of. Tell me what you agree with or don't agree with. I want to hear from you so it can help me make the best possible podcast I can. To make a podcast where I interact with the people who listen. To put a great product out there. So... If you have anything to say, positive, negative, or indifferent, I would love to hear it. Hit me on Twitter at PKennedy2Wise, and of course, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Sportsblock, New York Podcast. This is it. It's been fun. It's been a solo podcast. I love to do it. I'll be back again later this week, possibly with content both from the NBA Outsiders, as well as our NFL pick gurus, me, Phil DeMeo, and Mike Palmisano. But this is it, Sportsblock, New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. Thank you, as always, for tuning in.